0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to episode 58 of the Washed Up Memo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen. Thank you as always for listening for episode 58 Uh, We had Kenny from the starting line and vacationers join us. So Kenny straddles that line from being old enough to know the past, but be involved in the mid-2000s emo wave and had some amazing perspectives on it that I think you are going to really, really enjoy. I learned a lot and I have great respect for Kenny and the starting line and what they were doing uh, in that time when it was a little crazy, as we all know. So stay in touch with us uh, via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Tumblr, etc. All slash washed up emo i got in before someone else uh i love hearing from each and every single one of you from around the world it's amazing to hear uh bands that you guys have heard of also any suggestions you guys have take them to heart really means a lot enjoy the episode Kenny, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure.
1: I love that you found out or started or got in touch with the band.
2: It was through an email that I first uh, met Matt Watt. It was back in AOL days, and when you had an AOL profile, you had to fill out sort of your interests and, you know... What, how, how old you are and where you're from and, and all this stuff. And uh, I pretty much just, in all the blank spaces, I just listed punk bands that I liked. Um, it was just what I was into at the time. And Mal Watts was, I think, just doing a search of all the profiles. And I came up in his area, and he just wrote me a, a random email asking me if I knew any any singers in the area for a band was starting.
1: And then were you were you performing at the time? Were you you know, thinking about doing something? Was it something that you knew you wanted to do?
2: Yeah, I I think I was in three bands at that time, just in my high school. It it was maybe my freshman or sophomore year of high school. And I was uh, in a few bands. And one of them was playing at a skate park nearby where he lived. And I invited him out to that show. And that's how he got to hear me sing. And we, you know, exchanged info and he expressed interest in making some music with me.
1: And then, I mean, from what what kind of bands did you connect on or what bands for you that you were sort of, this was my, you know, which ones did you put on your AOL profile? <laughs> oh, it was <clears throat> just
2: everything in my record collection at the time It was like uh, a lot of the fat records catalog, like mm-hmm. Flag Wagon, Strung Out, um... You know, I think by that point, I had been, uh, I had been in on Promise Ring and Texas is the Reason, um, like a few of those, you know, first wave, and mm-hmm. you know, if you consider them first wave emo bands. Uh, I, I was listening to Face to Face was like my big one. That was the band
1: I love. Face to that, Face.
2: Yeah, they really sort of catapulted me into being obsessed with punk rock and and what they,
1: record?
2: Um. Big Choice was the one that I fell in love with. Fuck yeah! Like I, I loved uh, the, um, the version of Disconnected mm-hmm. on Big Choice. I was just I was so into it, and like I and I just thought that record sounded really great, but it was still raw. And that record was just sort of a perfect middle ground of like fast, aggressive music, but with really, you know, at the time I thought like really put together melodies and you know just like uh it wasn't so much like fuck the man punk rock it was just like you know you lied to me kind of you know like very simple like you know um like angsty kind of songs
1: you're right about the sound of it it just it had this glean to it but it was still punk but you were like why am i humming this five hours later <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you can hear that in, uh, in starting lens music. That was sort of what I was fascinated with, with punk rock. I was like, this is really great. And I love the energy of the music, but like operation Ivy was not for me, you know, mm-hmm. like that was what all my friends were listening to. And there was just, there was something that was just, I don't know, seemed like it was, um, and I'm not putting down operation Ivy. I totally understand like how important they were to punk rock music in, in retrospect. Um, but for me, it's just like I don't know. It just sounded trashier than it needed to be, and like a band like Face to Face were doing something just a a little more buttoned up. That you know, yeah, it it just had a new a, a new sort of sound to it.
1: Uh, one of the, I mean, I have to, because you mentioned face to face, the one show that I remember, and it's a 10 second story, they were playing at cat's cradle and I forget what tour it was. It was probably the, you know, self-titled or after or something. And, and this guy kept jumping up on stage and, and the stage is pretty low at cat's cradle in North Carolina. And this guy kept knocking into his guitar, uh, uh Trevor's. And it was like knocking it out of tune. A couple times went by, he kind of got annoyed and then the second time he was like, hey, k- k-, you know, in between a song, he's like, hey, hey, assholes, like, stop knocking into my guitar. Like, I have to keep tuning and blah, blah, blah. Can you not do that? A couple songs go by and then the same guy does it again. And yeah. he took him, like, stopped playing, but the band kept, like, the rest of the guys kept playing the verse. Like, it never stopped. Like, just kept repeating it. He took him. And then all you saw in the back was a silhouette of, like, Haymakers, of, like, him just getting the... Oh the crap beat out of him behind the stage and you could see it because it was like a like a strip mall you know the lights coming in you could see the silhouette but the band is like the rest of the guys are just do 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 do, do, do like just still playing it so then he comes back puts his guitar back on and then cuts into the chorus and i was like wow. that is the greatest fucking thing i've ever seen <laughs> like yeah. it's almost like they, they it's happened before
2: <laughs> i know i <laughs> I wonder if it's just like a brilliant act out and I got it just a plant. <laughs> If it was,
1: everyone was like, you know, oh my God.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the theater of life. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> but like that thing, like those type of moments, I feel like sets that, that, that type of band apart from the opening band. I'm not saying just because he beat somebody up, but just that they, they had those, you, you, they were together, they could, you could do those type of things, and I think a lot of those, you know, punk bands, they get sort of lumped into, oh, it's just three chords, and it's really fucking easy to play, and, you know, there's actually more depth to it, and especially the stuff that you were getting into. I mean, Fat Wreck had a ton of those bands, and obviously when you're listening to, you know, Texas and Ring, those things are a little bit deeper. It isn't just like, oh, you're listening to punk.
2: Yeah, no, luckily I had some friends that uh I jammed with prior to the you know, what would be the starting line guys. And I think they I found them, you know, th- this was a music store flyer find. Uh, I started hanging with these guys and they had um like a few bands that I recognized on like on their under their influences on their flyer but uh but it's just like Dag Nasty and Fugazi and uh and um, I'm trying to think who else, um, like, like Walter Krug, which just like really like, they were just putting deep influences. And just so, even though I'd never heard of most of those bands, I was still really intrigued by it. And that uh, experience with Jimmy, with those guys, you know, got me to investigate, you know, the Fugazi catalog, and really just sort of it broadened my mind um, for punk rock and like, yeah, I, And I still keep in touch with that guy. He's always, you know, like, he's a big Smiths fan now, and uh, it's, you know, into XTC and all that stuff. He always has really great taste in music. But and, and I think I was only 11 or 12 at the time. Wow. Yeah, and so that was, I think that was ultimately why they didn't want to jam with me. They were just sort of like, we need somebody that's at least, like, a teenager. <laughs> like, they were, you know, I don't know how old they were, like, 15 or 16. Like one of them, I think, was driving, and then you know, trying to hang out with this, you know, eleven-year-old. That um, is not cool. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's cool for me. I was like, you know, I I was always trying to make older friends because they just seemed to be more evolved musically.
1: Now we're you, no, actually, I wanted to bring. Look, so you were living close to Philly, but also New Jersey, um, and. At that time, and I mean probably even before, but like going to shows, like what were your was was your family cool with you going, or was you or, or were you learning more about these records from, you know, if it was mail order or finding out about stuff, or uh, you know, from um, friends. A lot
2: of uh, yeah, a lot of it was the backazines and like looking at like who the bands would thank in their liner notes. Uh, I, I you know I think you've you've gotten that like story a few times of like yeah I was investigating liner notes and that's how I you know but that's just the way it was back then that was as easy yeah. as you could really get like without you know expensive even though the internet was around there wasn't the expensive
1: you know database of information that there is now and then shows um, were is it was it just too early to go
2: oh no my parents were pretty cool about that early on I mean like the first show I wanted to go to was like. Corn in like you know I I don't even know what grade like you know fifth fourth something like that nothing uh, wrong with that know, I was still and I still probably was listening to a little bit of corn by the time the the starting line guys found me but I was listening to Fugazi too like I um I was just all about live music and um like you know fascinated by Mosh pits and um I was lucky enough to be able to go to a few festivals like when I was when I was younger and then. Eventually, they let me go to local shows, and you know, once I stumbled onto the local scene, and like a few of my friends had licenses, um, you know, and I was the friends that they trusted, I, I got to to go to some pretty cool shows early on.
1: What 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 were some of those first ones that you remember? I mean, it, I mean, it could be a local band, or was it just uh, was there like?
2: Uh, yeah, like I'm trying, like um, you know, the guy Brian who plays in Starting Line now. He he plays keys with us. He is, uh, or he was, in this band called Inkling, and I was uh, good friends with his cousin in high school. And his uh, cousin would bring me to these Inkling shows, and it was just like Inkling was this band that was doing what what Botch was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like really. Um, just abstract math problem, like hardcore songs that also had like, he also had this like get up kidzy, the, you know, like Billy Corgan kind of singing voice. And it was just so dope, especially for a VFW. Like they just were just massive sounding. Um, So those shows were always really crazy. Like in Lansdale, uh, and then, you know, I I got dropped off to the truck for, like, ska Against Racism, and like, every time face-to-face came to town, I was there, like, in the mosh
1: pit. I, was, like, I love you know, that. I dropped off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a good time. And then, so, I mean, were you meeting people at these shows? Or is it, was it more of, all right, I'm going to go to the show, I'm going to get the t-shirt, and then, you know, get picked up? Were you starting to sense, you know, obviously, if you're going to local shows, you sort of you were sort of getting some of the DIY, but you're seeing these bigger shows too. So did you sort of, you know, start to kind of get exposed to like, oh, wow, there's a bigger, like there's a great, hey, maybe we could play the truck one day.
2: That was it. That was it. Just playing the truck one day was...
1: That was it? Um,
2: that was it. I, I, I remember, you know, vividly when we started, uh, you know, the starting line, when we were coming up, I just wanted to be as big as day for day. Like, I thought, like, I was just like, that's making it. If I could just, like, because I've seen Save the Day at the truck, like, a few times, you know, and, um, like, back, you know, I think it was even um, Cancel Down Days. And I was just like, and, you know, Through Being Cool had pretty much come out, you know, the day that we started our band. And I just remember that album just really shook me, like, you know, how how good it sounded and how how well composed it was for, for an emo record. And, you know, and, and then it turns out our second show ever was at Save the Day uh, and running from Dharma at this place called Studio 22, which was a barn in Hershey, Hershey Pennsylvania.
1: How the hell did that get booked? <laughs> Dude, Matt Watts, uh, the guitar player from Starting
2: Line, has just, like, always been, like, a super business savvy kind of guy and just, like, knew how to deal with people. Like, he's still, you know, that's what he does, Just is a professional communicator with people and just gets things done like that you know if he if he wants to do something he like just only does it right
1: that's rad and then yeah. when when you were sort of you know let's you know if we jump to you know 2001 you know you've got your ep out drive through did you feel that that was like a test with them to like to see how it did um, or 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 were they like, hey, you've got the next record with us, and all these types of things? Or did you feel like, holy fuck, we gotta really kill it on this EP? I felt like that was sometimes that early era. They were it was almost like a testing ground.
2: Yeah, I I know what you mean. Like there were some bands that sort of like keeping Alice and, and stuff like that. That sort of like did a, few, a couple things and just sort of like went by the wayside. But. Um, I don't know. I got a sense right from the moment that we were being signed that um, at least that everybody was really excited about it. Um, Like everybody in the band and seemingly everybody that sort of, you know, had been dealing with our band seemed really excited about working with us. And like, I remember we played skate and surf. Uh, I think it was maybe the first year it ever happened. And we were playing the side stage and that side stage was top in that year it was like i remember like bane played uh recover played wow um it uh brand new played on that side stage cohee played on that side stage like it was just stacked with these bands that just like sort of you know um blew up a couple of years after and i remember that show like um jordan and chad from newfound glory were on the side of the stage before i had ever even met them and they were like singing along with with some of the stuff and no way I yeah, so I was just, like, over the moon with excitement that, you know, like, it was literally a dream coming true.
1: You're like, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that was an excitable kind of kid anyway, so I
1: was just... Hey, just, that's nothing wrong with that. I mean, 11. and drive through at that time, I mean, that was a hot label. Midtown, something corporate. I mean, it wasn't like... And they had they had backing. They had, they had uh, you know, connections. It just seemed like you guys fell into, like, the right situation. Yeah, it was definitely the right place at the right time. And then, I mean, definitely, I mean, two thousand one. I like to call you know, uh, you know, it's some pre-bleed American and post-bleed American for Jimmy Eat World. You know that there's there's bands that came before it, and then there were bands after, and it was like this feeding frenzy. I mean, I was at a label at the time, and. I remember the you know the President yelling like, "Bring me some emo bands, and I was like, Are you kidding me like is wow, you not, that's you know interesting. yeah, and I was like, uh, uh I remember trying to um get them to sign casket lottery. that was really funny, uh, yeah, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, must love that band so good, <laughs> but like you know that was I mean you guys were right before it, and this is really interesting too, I mean, you guys were right before the you know, the boom, the late nineties and you guys were kind of coming up and then right as it broke, you almost were right there. Um, were there, were there, were there, was there interesting feelings as you sort of felt it? You're like, Oh my God, this thing is like, it's almost like a wave. Like you just felt all these bands sort of coming with you.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like all the boats definitely rose with, with that, with that tide.
1: Um, I mean, what did you? I mean, when you first, I mean, were people? I mean, pop punk sort of melded into emo at that time, and the word got attached to it. I mean, were you guys fine with it? I mean, some bands I talked to, and they're like, "I can't, I couldn't run away from it faster." And other ones were like, "Well, if that's what they're calling it, who cares?" (laughs) Yeah,
2: I I remember it. It it started to make me squirm a little bit. Um, It's almost, but I don't. But you know, I don't attribute it necessarily to the name of Emo. It was just sort of like, um, there was just some bands that, that were, you know, coming up that weren't, I don't think, doing a great job with the genre. You know, to, if I could put it, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know, what, however that is. but <laughs> so I just think that maybe it was that, and there was so much, um, I don't know, like, Emo's, uh, yeah it's hard to put my finger on it but but something just sort of started to muddy the water with the name of it. It wasn't like promising anymore like emo all of a sudden meant fallout boy, which like is a super you know far cry from you know nothing feels good like it, it, and not to say the Fallout Boy is bad, but it was just it just felt like such a different shift, and I still wanted to make that original kind of emo. Um and it seemed like pop and like pop punk and everything like it all just sort of meant emo and what's uh, int- but it, yeah, and I remember the names like you know i I remember we played this show uh with I think Monumenty Boston's headline, and good Charlotte was on the bill, like not you know n- not in a headliner position, uh big Wig played the show, it was this really bizarre show, and I remember when we were playing. So, like these like super ska like kind of punk kids like passed a box of tissues to the front
1: wow but like, like, you
2: know as to say like you know fucking cry into this emo kid and that was when i felt like sort of like a shift of like oh is this embarrassing like
1: <laughs> well what's interesting is i i never attributed emo to sadness it was yeah. like uplifting. It was it was aggression. It was that you know, that feeling of, Oh my God, everything's gonna break but it doesn't. Um that's my Yeah, you know.
2: it's, it's emotion. Like I mean, at the drive in was emo, you know, like they were emo as fuck because they just let it all out. You yeah. Know? Whether that uh Yeah, whether that emotion is frustration, you know, heartbreak or, you know, revolt, it like um it's just all about the extreme expression of it, I think.
1: And that, you know, just, you know, seeing that sort of, you know, you said the past, you know, uh, box of tissues. I mean, that's that, that, that misconception that it's, I mean, it's still, it's still going on. Um, That that, that's what this is. It's, you're, you're supposed to be sad. You're supposed to be depressed and, That couldn't be further from the truth. I was so stoked, you know, that if it was Promising or, you know, Texas and, you know, you know, those connections that face to face would have those bands out on tour or, you know, Saves a Day was like, you know, super into, you know, certain bands and it was all connected. Um, And it just seemed that it, it, it there was a ton of money thrown in and I being at labels at that time for myself, I just remember getting these demos and like, it was almost like I could guess what the band was going to sound like by the photo. Um, Yeah. And that's when I was like, holy crap, this is, this is out of control. (laughs) And you guys must have been on tours and bands and, and I'm sure warp tours where you're like, where did these kids come from?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Yes, the pool definitely grew, okay, and yeah, I, I think what was good, good and was bad about LP, it. What's
1: that? What was good and bad about that? You know, either either the bigger wave or the bigger pool, because more people were listening, oh. more people could know about the starting line that way. But yeah, then it was also sort of taking something away from it too.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, the, I, and and the benefit of what happened with that, you know, the emo boom or whatever it was you know i probably owe, you know the um you know a very important part of my career to that so i have uh you know i i look back with uh with extreme gratitude that that happened because we were caught right in a sweet spot that you know um you know let people take notice of our band and and that was all i could ever ask for and uh Sorry, I'm getting a little off track. No, Um, no, I think
1: you are. No, I think you're making a really good point because you guys were appreciative of it. And I'm, you know, I think that time period is it happened. There's, it's just, it's just a really interesting shift. It's almost like the, you know, the internet took off, you know, iPods and it just seemed like everything got really fast, really quickly. Um, Yeah. and, And it was almost like this scene got caught up in that same thing. For sure,
2: yeah. I mean, people saw that. And, you know, like, you could even hear it in, like, Kelly Clarkson and, like, Alpha Rolls' music. Like, the the pop stars were just sort of starting to take cues from that kind of stuff. And the the culture was being affected by it. And so, yeah, like, I I was a little bit protective of it because it was something, you know, like, finding a face-to-face CD when I did it was sort of just buried in Sam Goody. You know, this wasn't a band that they were playing on MTV or playing on the radio. This is like something that was sort of in the, you know, like the deep cuts of the record store. Um, and I was like, you know, it's like anything else. Like when you find out about this band where they're a really modest size and then they blow up and, and everybody loves them and you feel like you're not special for liking them anymore. Like, like, I'm sure that there was a little bit of that preciousness going on with the genre for me.
1: So you were, so it was almost like you were getting these amazing tours and and you know getting to play with all these bands, and then half of you was like, I wish all these kids knew who X Band was or something.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean that still happens. Like uh, <laughs> you know, I've had the experience of doing a couple of these like DJ emo gigs, and the last one I did, I. The first song I played was Blink-182, Anthem 2. And, you know, it got a good response. I was like, okay, we're going to be off to a good start. Like, this is a banger. Like, people should know this. And then the second song I dropped was Grinch by Alkaline Trio. How'd
1: that go over?
2: I I might as well have turned off the music completely. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) if there could have been, if there's, like, less of a reaction than nothing. Well, like, every, like everybody was like let's get a drink. Like I don't know this one.
1: I've had a few people that have uh told me that they've guested on the LA one and they've said, you know, I've got this killer playlist and I you know, I'm like can you can you, can you share it with me? And they'll send me a few and I'm like, yeah, you you're, you're going to lose it right there. And they, what do you mean? I'm like yeah. the crowd is a little different. Um and, yeah. the, and I've had people, I mean, I uh, I've been doing a DJ night in New York City for 5 years. We're actually next month is 5 years and we uh over the years we sort of felt this change and recently, you know, this one person came up and was like, can you play something old? And I was like, Oh man, this is going to be awesome. What do you think? Yeah. Feeling you. like yeah. 88, 94. She's like, Oh nine. I want some Oh nine coheed. <laughs> I yeah. was, I think my co my co DJ had to like pull me away. Cause I was laughing too hard. Yeah. Um, grabbed his chest. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you, you got to stop. Um, but yeah, it's like one of those, it's, that's the interesting thing about the DJ nights is the that time period, and I would love your take on this. My thought is is that a lot of that is it got really popular, so it was on MTV, it was on the radio, it was top of mind. Those were sort of the kids that I didn't hang out with in high school like they were into pop stuff and I was into, you know, punk or hardcore and then happened to be that the punk bands got really popular. So they were into it and it was a phase. And then when Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying a lot of people that, that because and then it went away and, you know, they moved on and they got married or, you know, got out of college or something. And then this is, you know, a phase. But for me, it's like this is you don't just go to the show like you you bring something for food not bombs you start a zine you you know or website or you you contribute somehow and it just seemed like a lot of it was really not really further than skin deep um and that's my 10 minute version of it but i don't know if you feel that yeah. way or what what's sort of the sentiment
2: well i don't know i mean you know um i uh, the the most rational thing i can come to it's just a generational thing you know mm-hmm. i just you know people might know you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the next thing was, like Gatsby's American Dream or something like that, something that was sort of on the fringe of of what was going on with the genre. Uh, and that's like sort of, you know, like doing their homework for them. It doesn't seem like there's much about, like, you know, much homework doing with like a retrospective of HEMA music. At least, you know, not for those kind of things. It's not like, I don't know, like new noise doesn't, do what it used to like when you drop it in a club
0: yeah you know and i
2: just think and i just think people are just getting older and you know my generation of like you know the hardcore heads or you know like emo heads or whatever just aren't really you know they a lot of them
1: have kids now but you know it's just, it's think just the of, way it goes but think of that the of the punk comparison where if you get into punk you know yes you know green day you know blink But then you also know about the older bands, or you know that you know Black Flag, or you sort of have this—you know—you see this lineage, Bad Brains, and and at least there's like this generalization of okay, punk is these three things or these four sort of sections. It seems like when they you bring up emo, it's only the hair in the face, you're crying, and um, you know uh, white belts, and I wish that it would just. It doesn't have the same thing that punk. I feel like if you say that word, there's more than one thought.
2: Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like if if those people dug just a little bit deeper, they would really hit pay dirt with the genre because it's just such a uh, such a strange place to stop at with with it. You know, because I feel like you know, there's definitely some legitimate that were cranked out at that time but if you just go like i don't know you know like if we can just drop you know savory by Jawbox and like just have at least like 15 people losing their minds like that would be nice
1: (laughs) yeah it's but it's it's like they want to stick in you know these certain years and that's it and that's fine i mean I, i just feel like i feel like our age you looked back as well as forward and yeah and you're like, oh, fuck. well, what came before? Oh, wait a minute, who Fugazi? Wait a minute, what's that? Rights of Spring? Okay, wait a minute, did that connect to this? And then you start playing this, and it it just seems like a lot of. I mean, I mean, I just had a, a eye appointment, and I could, you know, the 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 eye doctor, I could just tell, you know, liked a certain type of music and and genres, and that 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 was it. They 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 weren't into digging, and I feel like there's a a big. Proportion of people for that mid 2000s that sort of dug a little bit, they got their five bands they loved, and then that's it. And they're on to, yeah.
0: Um,
1: and that's that's the weirdest thing that kind of eats me up. I just want to like have a class, I want to have like a free Berkeley class, and it's just like, hey, everybody, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> today, yeah. today in class, we have Kenny from the starting line, and he's going to explain, you know. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yeah, no, I think, you'd, I think you'd be able to put on a pretty good clinic for, you know, it, like, especially after all the, you know, all the research you've done with this.
1: All right. Yeah,
2: but... man, um, I, I, a, I think, you know, and I'm a digger just at heart for, for music in general. Like, I, I have uh, just, like, um, I, I just have an unquenched thirst for music and, and, and it started off with rock music primarily. And now it's just sort of spilled out into everything where now I just have to know like, like where, you know, like, you know, where the influences of like Brazilian jazz came from. Like, I I just like go deep now, like into, into everything because, you know, it's uh, like music is just an, an endless well, and it's so exciting to see why things happened and also to sort of analyze the cycles that happen, you know, every few decades, like mm-hmm. a lot of similar things keep rearing their head in music. And, you know, like, it's, it's funny, like, you know, like funk is sort of coming back now and it's just like, you know, and in the 90s, like trying to start a funk band is just like, it's just. <laughs> it's just not gonna work no dice And it's, it's, but right now it's like there, there's really great things happening with that and it's like why why now like, wh- like what have we learned over all this time and i just don't think that everybody has you know like a like the time and b like the attention span or or the desire to really like go into all the music that's been put out it's almost you know um it's almost overwhelming how much music there is out there. So, you, you know, then you just collect what's on the surface.
1: And then somehow that's, that's what the genre means. So yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's, it seems that there's a hope that over the years there will be something where, you know, it'll all connect. And I think, you know, you guys, I mean, I, mean, I think, and also the idea of a cover that still means something. I mean t- t- you would tell me a lot of the newer bands today that I listen to, if it's, you know, Field Mouse or The Hotelier or Beach Slang, I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you what, I couldn't tell you what the cover of the record was. But you know, for, for you guys, I mean you and I both I mean you could you and I could probably uh, quiz each other on the through being cool cover. Um yeah you know, and know everything about it and every page and what meant what and i i I kinda i mean you guys having the say like you mean it record the cover I mean that was everywhere that girl that you know that those things sort of connect you, and I feel there's this when you 're on spotify or you 're kind of just scrolling along it's just noise it's not you don't have this uh, visual um maybe you have YouTube videos, but there isn't that sort of thing that you guys presented and said this is what this is, yeah. And I mean, I mean, for you guys, 2001, I mean, that that record, that that was sort of a great uh, start because everyone sort of remembered that cover.
2: I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was, you, you know, I haven't thought much about that cover um, since this sort of that. Fr- I remember we were in the Oakwoods in, in, uh, in Burbank when we were discussing what to put on the front cover and like what to call it and all that. And at first, we were like, we had some bad ideas, too. We were like, maybe we'll have, like, cheerleaders or something on the cover. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember it was a few hours of deliberation. Like, And then, yeah, somehow we we landed on the idea of having a long couch and, like, a phone connected to, to each other. And then guy and girl on both ends. And that then, is, you know, that made totally more sense at the time.
1: <laughs> and I mean, you guys seemed, I mean, it was funny, I was looking through the discography. I mean, I knew the records, but then I was like, oh my God, there's all these EPs and like extra songs. Were you just kind of constantly, you know, release or re- recording stuff as you were going or was it, or was it, you know, one long time you got a bunch of songs and then you just had extras or what was sort of the um, output you guys were doing at that time? Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, we were. I guess you know, like it's sort of yeah. At the at the beginning, there was just a surge of um, of creativity and songwriting happening, and I think by the time that we exhausted the songs for "Say It Like You Mean It," then it maybe took us another couple of years to like write the next fifteen songs because you know, like back then you didn't have a touring schedule and you were you were just you know getting together in the garage and like all we had time to do is just you know play you know like the nine songs we have or whatever it's like all right well you know like what if we want to switch up the set a little bit and then you know (laughs) eventually you got yourself like you know 17 songs by the time it comes around to the full length and we really you know we got the have our pick of the litter, and it was also it was great having Trumbino around because he he you know showed his opinion like very honestly to things. So if he didn't think that all the songs were there, he would sort of you know lift his eyebrow at us and he be like, "All oh, right, you want to put that one on the record." Like, okay, and you know you could just t- just tell he wasn't he wasn't satisfied with that, and it, and it drove us a little harder to. Um, figure out what we wanted this record to sound like and what kind of energy, you know, was missing on it.
1: What was one of those moments where you're like, "Man, we just killed it! We just killed it!" And then he's just like, "Guys, you gotta, you gotta cut that." <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. I think
2: we wanted, and I don't think it made it on the record, but I think we wanted to do Greg's last day uh-huh. for for that uh, for that record. Like we wanted to re-record it. And I remember that being a moment where, you know, he was just like, he was just like, I don't think that that song's good. (laughs) You know, just like put it very simply. And, uh, and we, and I still kind of like that song, but you know, we took that to heart and we were just like, yeah, well, I don't know. We really want this record to be good. So like, and you made clarity, so. Exactly. Yeah. You win.
1: (laughs) Whatever you say, Mark, Mark, doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He won, he won that one. (laughs)
1: Uh, and then, um, you know, the, you've mentioned, I know in, in, um, you know, the press a few times, you know, sort of about that Geffen and then you were kind of able to get the record back. Um, was there any sort of, did anyone tell you ahead of time or were you just, I mean, it's obviously so many of that story where you just get forgotten about at those, at those bigger labels. Um, and especially 2005, I mean, that was, that was ready to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
2: that record. You know, it's uh, it, you know, it was such a stretched out period of time making that record that it got a little bit. Um, I don't know what the, what the perfect word is, but like,
1: um, did it did it get old? Because it was just you were waiting well, around for so long.
2: It just got confusing. It was hard to really like fr- like frame that record in context at all anymore because it had been through so much like it, it, it had just been fucked with so much by the time
1: wow it was
2: like getting mixed and mastered. it was just like, so you know there was I think at the end of the day like three producers that you know um, compiled the the
1: oh my the god
2: on, on that record you know it just because we were just there was just a I don't know there was just a series of problems and there was a push and pull from the label of what we wanted and what they wanted and, and by the end you know like I think that record still really has its charms but I think it has ultimately has a lot of flaws to it and it's a little bit disjointed
1: um, I, I kind of like the analogy of you know you you crumple up some uh, tin foil and you can never really get it flat again or you can't get it perfectly you know <laughs> clean again it's yeah, like no matter what yeah. you do there's always going to be a little wrinkle somewhere
2: totally yeah there was I mean there's uh, just a few songs on that record that were just to death with just like just it was just you know just
1: tweak tweak fucked was it like a and r guys talking to you or was it was it the producers yeah. like oh that guy said that no we're gonna do this or
2: well we we recut we you know we, we uh i mean without getting into it too deeply because you know like yeah of course stuff, but, yeah, because I don't, I won't name names for which producer, like, you know, caused which problems, because ultimately, I really like all the guys that worked on that record. Like, on a personal level, um, I, you know, have drinks and, and dinner with, with any of those dudes.
1: Yeah, no, I wasn't um, trying to get to that. I just meant sort of like, you know, the, you're like, you have this song, and then it gets messed with, and it gets, you know, it's sort of in your head, you're like, wait a minute, but I wrote this song, and now it's this. It's almost like you're, it's like, it's almost like another song was written. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the, the, that happened in, you know, all sorts of stages of the process. And, like, you know, at one point, the, you know, the production just wasn't what we hoped it would be. It just, like, we just sort of kept waiting for it to sound good. And then it just always, I don't know, came out a little flat. And then Chris Lernalgie like came in and mixed it and did his, you know, like, big, massive thing to it. And then that, you know, it gave it the sound that it is, um just by the end of it, it just it, it just felt like it had been you know it had really like been through the dryer and just um, wasn't wasn't exactly what what we hoped for. Yeah, but you know it, you know it was what it was, and we were really I think that there is some sort of artistic statement with with that record, and we were pushing against the grain, which which I'm really happy about. Like I'm glad that we didn't do what everybody asked us to do and work with. At the you know the people that everybody was making their their records with because you know we wanted to we wanted to have something unique and and we ended up with that it just it got some flaws in it
1: and then you know after that record you know moving from drive through to you know virgin um which like i had i'd mentioned before we started like i had i got to the label right as i think this cycle was ending and um you know island the song was everywhere got on the radio um, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff happening.
2: Yeah, that was that was a really promising time too. Um,
1: and uh, and I, I guess this
2: would be a good time for me to say that I like have zero bitter feelings about not not being more successful than than we were.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like um, there were a lot of bands, you know. Like there was a couple times that we had tours planned with bands. Uh, Post Warp Tour, you know, these bands would be on Warp Tour with us, and we had planned to do a co headlining tour, and we would both release our record during Warp Tour, and then by the end of Warp Tour, it was, uh, you know, we were support that that band was headlining just because they blew up in, in such a massive way. And then we always kind of, you know, we were always kind of sidelined as being a band that, you know, people definitely listened to our records, but we were just we're not getting that kind of airplay that the blow up. Fans were, and you know, and not only am I am I not bitter about those things happening, but I'm ultimately kind of relieved that it did because I really love having fans of my music and not, and still like having um, the freedom to be like an anonymous person. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, every once in a while, I'm sort of a big deal to, to to somebody, but I'm not, you know, like, recognized all the time, and I'm not, and I also don't have to live down some big peak in my career. Like, everything has been sort of a steady climb towards a very comfortable position of just being able to to really do whatever the fuck I want.
1: I, d- I think you've you literally said it perfect, and I almost want to, like, cut that soundbite, because... It really says, like, I think that's really big of you to say you're not bitter. I think there's a lot of bands that sometimes they'll say, oh, this should have happened or this. And it's like, well, that's what happened. And I've heard that story before. I mean, I worked records where, you know, they were same thing They you thought they were going to be headlining and then they were supporting. But you're totally right. You have a fan base that you could come out with something or you could go out, you could do a solo tour or you could play anything and they're going to be open to it. And there's going to be a group of fans that will always come out. And I think you've kind of hit the sweet spot. I think I always mentioned Jimmy World. I think they've hit that sweet spot. Their kids are going to come Absolutely. to hear... They're going to kids are going to come to hear sweetness in the middle. But guess what? There's us nerds that want to hear static prevails and clarity and futures and whatever the new record is. And you're going to go and buy the T-shirt. I think you guys, that is a really, you almost want that more than the crash and burn.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, like uh, massive, you know, astronomical fame. Like seems like a good idea from afar, but once you know, once I started to get to know the people that were in the position of being the the front people of those bands, I didn't really envy them. The stress, I just sort of. I, yeah, it just it seemed like a lot, an awful lot of work, and I, you know, and I got to go and chill and just party and like, <laughs> uh, you know, meet the select, you know, group of people that that really cared about what I was doing and. Um, it was always just very, very encouraging. Um, yeah, so I, re- I really appreciate that compliment, man. You know, you know what's especially it? being lost, put in there with with Jimmy because that was, you know, I remember we got a, the had the pleasure of playing, I think, two shows with them, and just had an, an amazing experience meeting those guys. And like, it, it, I, you know, never lost that like fanboy like. Like holy shit, you made clarity and like <laughs> and like you know uh, like you know like stay on my side. Like why don't you guys play that kind of you know just like torturing you guys like. <laughs> um, yeah, that that band was was such a big deal.
1: Yeah, I've tortured Jim enough. Um, I one time texted him right before his show I was seeing, and I go, uh, "Can you play Claire?" And he's like, "Just wrote back, we played it last night." Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm such a dork." <laughs> oh, man. But I'm still taking the, the show. <laughs> now I'm with you, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think, and I think too, I want to bring up that you guys haven't had seven thousand, you know, member changes. I mean, that's fucking rare. You had none. Yeah. You had the same fucking dudes. No one killed each yeah. other. No one. Uh, you know, that's you've had f- you've had four amazing relationships since '99, or uh, and then the uh, yeah. the keyboard player from 2005. You've had. You've had those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, What would you attribute that to? Was it, I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, Matt having that sort of business. Did everybody have their role and sort of understand that that's what needed to be done?
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that there's an outstanding sense of loyalty in this band. Um, You know, like, we all had our differences right from day one. Like we were just obviously like our own character of people that like would not necessarily hang out with each other if we weren't making music together. But there's this sort of like unspoken thing with the group where we just have, you know, tolerance and acceptance for everybody in our band, because this is the band. Like it's just a, it's a family unit at this point. It's just like, if we start, you know, replacing people at this point, it's just like it's just what are we doing? Like it's just not the band anymore. Like the whole reason that we're getting together and playing music is because we are these these people that started this thing, and it's sort of uh, it's almost tradition at this point.
1: That's rad, and you you're all doing thank, it for the right reasons.
2: Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, and that's uh, that's the only reason that I want to do it for, and that's the that's the reason that the, that the seven inch you know, it's coming out is because I finally gained the appetite to make this music again. And like, I started hearing from bands, you know, like, uh, making records like cloud, nothings and, uh, like the new desperacitos record where I was like, Oh shit. Like this is what, like, this is what gets me excited. Like a kid again, like hearing punk music, it's like somebody taking it and wiping, you know, the, all the polish off it and like really getting down and like, and, and sanding into the, to the mineral of like what melodic punk music should be. And, uh, that got lost on me for a while. I just, you know, I just didn't have, uh, I just sort of lost the ear for it. I just wanted to, wanted to hear some other stuff. And then once, you know, once I started stumbling onto these new records, um, I was like, oh, these, you know, these dudes are doing it right, and this makes me want to do it again.
1: That's so rad. It's almost like we had the same. Like 2010 was when I sort of were like, wait a minute, people know who Mineral is, and they're sounding like it. Or yeah, and I'm like, get out. And then friends started sending me all these new bands, and it sort of you know rekindled the website and all these sort of. I was like, oh my god, I can talk about new bands. I can go to see shows. I can. It was like we. I was in this like hole of I thought nothing was going on, but there was always a basement show. I just didn't know. And yeah. you're fucking right about the Deciparasito's record. That one is, I mean, Connor wrote hit after hit on that. And, you know, Denver and all those dudes, I mean, unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that record is, um, I think, crazy, like, I, you know, I hate to say underappreciated because I don't know if people, you know, are loving it the same way that I am, but I feel like it's not getting talked about the way it should be.
1: It wasn't. I, I think it got, I think it being that it was released in... Uh, I think early 2015. God, I'm so, I, I know it was early in the year. I forget what month, yeah. but yeah, it was, I kind of just kind of got left. Um, I mean, it definitely did big tours. They definitely, um, you know, had a lot out there press wise, but it just seemed like, you know, it didn't get really recognized. I don't think like it should, but it's interesting that those kind of things, you know, uh, got you guys all back together. I mean, what, you know, when you guys said, Hey, let's all play again, or let's, let's write, was everyone sort of, fuck yeah, let's, let's do it. Everyone was in the right frame of mind.
2: Yeah, totally. Like everybody was at at least, you know, like everybody's game. Like I started passing around the songs that I was, was sketching out on an acoustic um, through email. And I was like, here's, you know, here's what I'm coming up with. Like maybe we could do these few, you know, um, over the summer and everybody was all for it you know like everybody you know not everybody lives in Pennsylvania anymore but everybody was willing to make it work with their schedule and I think you know there was probably a sense of like okay like you know finally dude like we've been sort of toying with the idea forever but um, you know it, it, it was it finally came to be a time where I was inspired to write this kind of stuff. But I'm I'm really proud of these, the, these songs I think that we honored what this band is about and we did it in exactly the starting line way, you know, like with, with this band, it's not, um, it's, it's not like, it's not Prague, you know, like there's a, uh, there's a sound that this band is. And I wanted to stay true to that, but I still wanted to, you know, I wanted to incorporate the, like, the like fierce, you know, like fiery inspiration that I'm getting from these new punk bands, and like really, like, sort of like vent, um, like any frustration in my life, like, through that, that, that kind of style. While, you know, like, I can, I can only sound like me, and I'm <laughs> always kind of going to sound the same when I play this kind of music. So I hope that people are, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, like, us acting our age though you know it's the that's the thing that i'm proud about with it is that it feels exactly like starting line while not being what we were in 2002 Mm -hmm. i love that you know like i I love starting lines you know to pieces and um yeah i have a lot of fun playing shows with them but i don't think that it's really on anybody's agenda to pick up like a full-time schedule with, with Starting Line. And to tell you the truth, I can't really sustain it physically. Like, I just don't, you know, to try to sing songs, you know, a lot of them that I wrote when I was, like, 17, 18 years old. As a 31-year-old, it just, it just doesn't sound good. You're like, you know, man, like I am winded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like I just lose my voice after, like, a night of it, you know, trying to sing that high and, like, that loud um vacation just isn't like that vacation is like i sing like you know laid back and and very controlled and um it's very it's you know it's composed kind of music and and starting line still punk rock and i love to play them like punk rock shows but my body can't really handle more than just like a, a couple other times <laughs> so we're going to do uh slam dunk in the uk in may um and that's gonna be a lot of fun we've done that once before and i'm i'm really excited about that trip um you know there's talk about trying to get a show together in philadelphia like around when the ep comes out and then you know like i'm sure we'll keep doing holiday shows and i'd like to even you know if if the songs come about i'd like to you know make a tradition out of out of doing a seven inch when we can
1: i love um,
2: that yeah like you know it's like i feel like uh I don't know. You know, like I don't want to make a a huge thing about it, especially when nobody, no no party involved. It's not just me. Is like really like, um, you know, campaigning for that to happen. Like I know there's there's some fans out there that would really like that, and I and I want them to know that I love them and I and I appreciate them listening to the fans so much. But uh, I just don't want to. I don't want to play shitty shows for people. I got to just save it up and let it out when I can.
1: <laughs> I love it. Guys, fantastic. I know you're screaming, but guess what? I'm not going to do it. I love it. You can say that. But I think you to- I think you're totally right about giving, you know, having a 7-inch or having something that, you know, the fans over the years are going to appreciate and say, "Oh, wow, they came together and played some songs." That's all you want. That's all I tell a band. If I'd seen you back in the day all I would have said was hey can you do an ID for my radio station and can you keep play- playing music that's all the two yeah. things you need to hear um, that's yeah. that man are you going to be doing um, more touring or is there something else that you're going to be doing with vacationers
2: um, yeah I mean, we're uh, we're writing a new record right now that you know
1: to, to
2: put it briefly but um, so I'm just sort of we're putting songs together for that and we have uh, a tour coming up in March, we're doing the Paramore Cruise, the Parahoy.
1: Oh, shit. That's going to be yeah, awesome.
2: So, yeah, we'll be on that with uh, with Churches and New Front Glory and Me Without You and Lights.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah, so that'll be that a really cool time. Um, I'm excited to to see the Paramore dude and Judette.
1: Of course. And uh, Haley and knows what's up. Feet.
2: Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then, yeah, that's uh, our twin fiddle is pretty light. Um, in terms of Vacationer, just trying to concentrate on writing some good
1: tunes. That's actually funny that Vacationer's doing a cruise. Like, it's almost like, that's like a, I don't know, it's like some Onion article. <laughs> yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> it's,
1: um, I think it's going to be appropriate, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Kenny, thanks so much for doing the podcast.
2: Oh,
1: well, it's my pleasure, man. This is a lot of fun. Let's push
2: your lives side.